Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman, coming to you live from the Mortgage Bankers Association of Florida 2021 Secondary and Convention. Topics on today's episode include the shrinking GSE footprint, my interview with Candor CEO Tom Showalter on how the mortgage industry is ripe for innovation, and looking ahead to Fed Chair Powell's visit to Capitol Hill today. Is office work returning? Some watch traffic patterns, and sure enough, cars on the freeway of Los Angeles are traveling slower once again, indicating that the city is returning to a sense of normalcy. On the northbound I-5 freeway in June 2019 at 10 a.m., the average travel speed was 43 miles per hour. During the pandemic, in June 2020, the reduction in congestion brought that average speed up to 61 miles per hour. Today, the speeds are back down to around 40 miles per hour. And to think that there are people out there who don't believe that somebody out there knows how fast you're driving, or for that matter, what you're looking at on your computer, at all times. Something else people are watching is the bond market. A shift to haven assets, prompted by an equity sell-off, has sent the yield on the 30-year U.S. Treasury to 1.93%, the first time the yield has been under 2% since February. The 10-year yield reached a four-month low of 1.35% in overnight trading before the market opened yesterday. Of course, mortgage prices are lagging. Lenders around the nation are watching the agencies, or Fannie Mae at least at this point, shrink their footprint. The second home investment business will move away from Fannie, either to Freddie, for now, or to investors through private label securitizations, with some of it going into portfolios. Lenders are reacting by not doing concessions, as well as worsening margins. MLOs who haven't seen it already, will. Any MLO who expects imposing the 7%, 3%, or 0% cap on second homes and investment properties not to impact the business of the lender they're working for or brokering to is mistaken. And any lender whose deliveries for July come in above what Fannie has dictated may have agency lending for second and investment homes cut off altogether. Who wants that? Changes afoot, and MLOs and management are in it together. A steep reduction for certain lenders in the percentage of GSE loans they can do for combined investor and second homes, prompted the Community Home Lenders Association, or CHLA, to send letters to Treasury Secretary Yellen, FHFA Director Calabria, and Fannie Mae CEO Hugh Fratter, expressing significant concerns about Fannie Mae notifying certain lenders that starting in July they will be subject to a strict 3% cap on combined investor and second home loans, calling such actions, quote, wildly disproportionate to the ostensible 7% GSE level cap in the January PSPA agreement, end quote. The letter makes a request for immediate action to reverse these 3% lender-by-lender caps. Why? First, the only reason for these 3% lender-by-lender caps appears to be the retroactivity feature of the PSPA restrictions. Second, it is unfair and inappropriate to penalize the very lenders that stepped up during the COVID crisis to provide mortgage credit to rental home investors and the renters they serve. The third reason, per the CHLA, is the PSPA restrictions, particularly these draconian actions to cut investor and second home loans to 3% for certain lenders, are contradictory to virtually every other federal and state public policy and financial action taken since the beginning of the COVID crisis. Fourth, these actions disproportionately harm non-bank lenders, particularly smaller ones. Finally, CHLA would like to raise concerns on behalf of its lender members that similar draconian caps might soon be placed on so-called, quote, higher risk, end quote, loans, which are subject to even lower percentage levels. These loans are vital, since they are critically important for access to mortgage credit for minorities, lower income, and other underserved borrowers. It's my opinion, but if you're trying to appeal to somebody's uh, morality and you say what they're doing to you is draconian, I don't know if that's the best way to go about things. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Candor. 
Have you heard of Candor yet? As you'll hear shortly, they're gaining groundswell for their dynamic, adaptive, and automated underwriting engine. Speaking of which, for today's interview, I wanted to bring on their CEO, Tom Showalter, for part one of an interview about how the mortgage industry is ripe for technological innovation. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. This summer really sees the return of in-person conferences. And when you go to these conferences, you realize a lot of the people in the mortgage industry have been in it for the past couple of decades, maybe even doing the same role for the past couple of decades. Where is the innovation in the industry coming from? What, what sides of the industry do you see it coming from? What, what sort of things do you feel like are ripe for technological improvement? Where, where do you see the opportunity really? I, I think it depends upon the kind of technological innovation you're talking about. If you're talking about something that's evolutionary, like taking the current process and automating a part of it, that's largely coming from within the industry. Uh, it, it's not really coming. I mean, it, it takes an insider to know this is the very detailed process by which a mortgage is made. And at this point, we're going to insert this kind of calculation or this kind of data. And that's that's largely the metaphor for innovation now is, is taking the process and, and trying to find a way to automate a particular task in the process. But the, the other kind of automation that's more revolutionary is think about how to automate the thinking, the critical thinking necessary to, to, to really revolutionize how we make a mortgage and how we sell a mortgage and how we evaluate a mortgage. Uh, th that's probably where the new frontier lies. And, and it's, it's a different kind of technology than I think we're used to. Uh, it's, it's commonplace elsewhere, but it, it's not common in the mortgage space. Yeah, I was going to ask, is the mortgage industry thinking big enough? Where, where do you feel like they could be thinking bigger if not? Well, I, I think back to that process metaphor we talked about, in, in my opinion, their process is ripe for disruption. How can you go look at how a mortgage is made and sold? And how can you disrupt that to the point where you make improvements all along the way? So the improvements have to be largely in three areas. One, one is the improvements have to, to enable things to be done more efficiently. Right now, costs are growing too fast in the make a mortgage business for it to survive. So, you know, you have to become more efficient. But the other thing is, as you become more efficient, which usually involves some way of reshaping the labor component, you have to make sure you're still making a high quality loan or otherwise the economics of bad loan manufacturing will eat up your income statement and your balance sheet as the loans come back for repurchase. So those are two dimensions. And the third I'm thinking we need some combination of speed and consumer friendliness. I'm in a business that has attracted investors who understand the mortgage space. And every one of my investors, all 16 of them, are, they have a, a, more, a getting a mortgage nightmare, like how just challenging it was and how long it took and how many false starts and how many, how many, how many just mess ups that happen. So, so you end up with folks who are consuming the mortgage product, uh, taking too long, not seeing enough efficiency, but more than anything, it's a process that's confusing and frustrating. And in some ways, they, they have expectations that are rarely realized. So that's very disappointing. So I think those three things, you have, to, you have to figure out how to be more efficient. You have to figure out how to make sure the loan has integrity. And you also have to make sure in all of that, that the consumer 
this process is transparent to the consumer and they can see what's happening and it happens at a pace that they would deem a reasonable use of their time. So I would think those three things. And I guess the natural segue here would be, what is candor actually solving for? Are, are you addressing those three things consciously yeah. as you go about this? Yes, we are. Yeah, that, that's, that's been our mission for the last four and a half years. So that's what we're doing. And um, it's, a hard, it's a hard problem to solve. We seem to be solving it quite well, but it's a hard problem to solve. I, I, it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. Well, what's what's some of the pushback you're getting from people? Do, are they not able to see the the size of the what you're trying to tackle here, or, or where where do you feel mm -hmm. like there's still non-believers? Well, well there, there's there's two groups. Th those folks that understand that we're trying to automate the thinking, and therefore they're looking at the critical thinking that has to be done to make a mortgage. So they're looking at what underwriters, how underwriters think how loan processors think, how loan officers think, and how to make sure that we understand that thought life so we can automate it. So those folks that get that understand very quickly what Candor's all about. They're big fans and, and they, they're using Candor to great economic benefit. The other group thinks we're automating a task, can't quite imagine how a machine could actually be taught to think. And therefore, they have a challenge of figuring out what Candor does. They try to make it into some sort of task automation program. It's not. What Candor is is called an expert system. What expert systems do is they automate the thinking of experts. Your 95th percentile player that basically drives the improvements in any process or any endeavor. That's, that's what Candor attempts to automate the thinking of that, that expert. And it's doing a good job of it. So, uh, But people find it hard to believe that... We taught a machine how to think like an underwriter. And by the way, when you try to teach a machine to think like an underwriter, you have to get extremely granular because it, the, the computer is the world's most expensive four-year-old. It just is. <laughs> teaching, teaching a computer how to think is like teaching a, a young kid how to think. And, and if, if Candor, the computer, could say, are we there yet? It would be saying that 10 times a day. So uh, we've taught it how to think, but to teach it how to think, we had to get extremely granular. We had to create a logical entity that was a very narrow and very granular entity as to capture the essence of how an underwriter think, would think about that specific kind of problem. And so uh, we've done that. We call it that particular logical entity, a pivot point. And that's where candor must make a choice between A or B or, or A, B or C or whatever. But it's, it's what an underwriter would do at that specific kind of problem. And so in the architecture, we've had to program in over 30,000 pivot points to get candor basically to, to think like an underwriter would. And as your head of marketing, Brandy Young, who I know personally would say, it takes a long time to become an overnight sensation. What do you, what do you think it will actually take for candor to to register in people's minds like like how you believe it should be registering well i think for, first of all you take the group that that gets it in, in many ways what, what we find is our, our best first customers are those folks that in one way or another tried to try to automate the, the critical thinking of an underwriter tried to buy it from somebody tried to do it themselves and they failed so those folks are not only great customers, but they're great evangelists. Sometimes when, at times, they refer us to other players in the industry. And it's kind of like when they take over the call, it's like, this is my best salesperson. I mean, I couldn't have trained somebody to do this any better. 
And so that those those people are true evangelists for what we do. And the reference cell here about somebody saying, hey, I tried it. Here's what it did for me. And it's been really good. And uh, by the way, these are folks that went through, went through some dark times with candor when, when it wasn't working quite as well as it should. And we were able to get it to perform. And it still performs. So those folks are, are our evangelists. And so the reference selling where word of mouth people sharing what candor is and why helps a great deal. The second part is that we start getting a market footprint and market share. More people will be able to testify that it is, in fact, as good as advertised. It does what they say it will do. And it's generated benefits for us. But the benefit generation business is probably two-thirds, three-quarters on how the how the client wants to employ a technology like Candor. Uh, and so how the client uses Candor determines to a large extent what the magnitude of their economic benefit is. Certainly. And it, it seems like at some point it, it will reach that critical mass. Uh, yes, it's on its way. That Fed meeting last week had the bond market feeling anxious. Most Fed policymakers now expect to make two interest rate increases by the end of 2023, a more aggressive plan than anticipated that reflects recent inflation concerns. Fortunately, a measure of calm set in yesterday. As the FOMC works to keep growth steady despite moving up predictions for the economy's recovery, Fed Chair Powell heads to Capitol Hill today, and his remarks will be scrutinized by investors as lawmakers question him about the central bank's support for the economy and his attempts to square higher inflation concerns with the Fed's commitment to seek gains in the labor market. As far as mortgage bankers are concerned, the Fed's rate outlook has pushed short-term rates higher, while longer-term ones have fallen, as the Fed has assured the market that there is only a small risk that U.S. inflation will remain above its 2% target for long. Today's calendar begins here shortly with the Philadelphia Fed's non-manufacturing indices for June. Later this morning brings Redbook same-store sales for the week ending June 19th, May existing home sales, and the Richmond Fed indices for June. In addition to Fed Chair Powell, we will also hear from several Fed speakers, including Cleveland's Mester and San Francisco's Daily. Today is also Class D 48 hours. The desk of the New York Fed will conduct two operations targeting up to $4.9 billion of 30-year 2% and 2.5%. We begin the day with agency MBS prices essentially unchanged from yesterday, and the 10-year yielding 1.49% after closing yesterday at 1.48%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I saw an ad for burial plots and thought to myself, that's the last thing I need. (laughs) Thanks again to Candor for sponsoring today's podcast. I look forward to hearing more great things. Want to know more? Go to candortechnology.com. Tell them Robbie Chrisman sent you. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.